I mean, those stressful jobs can also be the ones where you learn the most. Uh, this was the case for me. But to be totally honest, after a few years, um, this, uh, it, this became like really, really stressful. Um, and uh, so you need to find your off time, your free time. Welcome to Blue Team Diaries, the podcast that celebrates and honors the professionals who work tirelessly to defend their organizations and those who build tools to support defenders. In each episode, host Peter Manav invites his guests to share their stories and experiences in a fun and lighthearted conversation. Blue Team Diaries is sponsored by Stamus Networks, a global provider of network-based threat detection and response solutions. Learn more at stamus-networks.com. Hi, and welcome to Blue Team Diaries. I'm Peter Manev, and today my guest is Robert Heist. Uh, Robert has more than 10 years cybersecurity leadership experience with a focus on threat intelligence, incident response, and digital forensics. He holds a Master of Science with Distinction in Advanced Security and Digital Forensics from Edinburgh Napier University and an Executive MBA from the Quantic School of Business and Technology. Robert is a passionate about open source software, music and digital solutions for a better and fairer society. Hi Robert, welcome uh, to our Blue Team Diaries. Um, Straight to the point. Great to have you with us here. Straight to the point, though. Can you share a cool project you have been working on recently? Please. Actually, yeah. So, you know me. Um, I am, I have a big side hobby called threat intelligence. And so, um, one, one of the issues I, I encountered during my very active days of incident response was uh, finding all relevant public threat intelligence reports that are out there. Uh, for a specific topic, and I al always thought, why is there no like a public library for threat inter report that have been published? Would and so I started collecting them, uh, like a TI collector, yeah, uh, like Pokemon yep. cards. Gotta gotta catch them all, yeah. Right. And so um, I managed to like amass a library of around thirteen thousand reports now. Um, Impressive. And I made a big search index and also combined it with uh, stuff from the MIST project and other um, open source projects and made a website so you can search all of those reports. Excellent. What's the name of the website? Uh, Oracle.eu. Yeah. Thank you. And okay. so it also has a, an API. Um, it just has a rate limit, no API key, so um, people can go nuts with it. And uh, so <laughs> okay, uh, cool. this uh, this is what I always wanted to use myself, and so uh, I built it for the community. But actually, so what, so this is actually as you as you mentioned something for the community. Is it you doing it all by yourself, or you have others that are helping you out? So the software and the website, I built everything myself. And I also maintain it. Um, of course, the most important part in projects like this are your sources. 
And so um, I have like a number of sources who themselves put a lot of work into curating a, a smaller subset of reports. Um, oh, that's awesome. Like um, uh, the MIST project, I already mentioned them. We have uh, in Germany a project called Malpedia. Maybe you also heard of that. Yep, very well. Um, heard of it. Yep, yep, yep. Um, we have a little bit more adventurous website like Weeks uh, Underground, but they actually have a huge uh, portfolio of papers on their website uh, and mm -hmm. let me use them. Uh, and so, yeah, this is um, the, the very important previous very cool, work. Very that, cool. Um, and, and thank you for sharing it with the, with the public and the community and all that. That's, those are also, uh, that's actually, I think, very important. Um, <clears throat> but... A question out of curiosity, alongside the project, though, if I may, um, what you mentioned that it's something you always wanted to do, but what was mainly missing, let's say, from if you compare that to other reporting sites or tools, or it doesn't matter if it's open source or commercial or free or not free, what was the missing link that was that led you to say, hey, this actually is missing, and that's why that's why I'm doing it. That's the reason. Um. So, I mean, the most important thing, and you probably can relate, is time. <laughs> so, uh, when I was uh, doing a lot of incident response and, and uh, other stuff uh, where you have very irregular working hours, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I just didn't have the time to think that through, um, look for the right uh, open source tool to also build this, because I also built this just using open source tools. Um, and so, um, yeah, mainly time and then also um, the the necessary tools to build this just came up in the previous years. Um, right, right. So, for example, um, I didn't want to manage an Elasticsearch cluster to put in all of the plain text reports. And right. so I needed like a smaller search engine that can handle that. And um, I'm using Miley Search for that. Um, and so, yeah. So there were like, and also the biggest thing is it needed a front end and I'm a backend guy. I mean, I, I do Python, I do Go, and I knew that if I, I wanted to build something useful for the community, it needed a front end. Awesome. And so I needed the two weeks of time to learn React. And, um, that's pretty it's, fast. It's, yeah. it's still quite ugly. So you can see that I prioritized for functionality, not for the looks. <laughs> uh, it needs to work. That's rule number one. Okay, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I, I agree. I promise. I promise. Some someday I'll also learn how to make it prettier, and then I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you mentioned in in our line of business, uh, incident response. The, the, here, the the main part is the response, right? You need you need to do it as fast as possible and as accurate as possible. So. Totally understand that. You were mentioning irregular working hours. You mean like somebody disclosing a CV on Friday at 12 a.m. or something like that? 1 a.m. or those type of irregular hours? Yeah, yeah sure. We can yeah. relate to that. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how it is, right? Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I have a feeling that in the last one or two years, um, the, the typical like marketing-oriented TI report releases stopped a little bit so okay. it, it became much less um at least from my perspective it seems to be like a lot less reports get released and a lot of times those reports also were like 
pushing the PR wave and the marketing waves in front of them. Mm -hmm. And then you had like, the Twitter storms and uh then then somebody from top management called you and was like hey i read something on twitter <laughs> did you already take care about that yes. right <laughs> and so th those are your friday nights then yeah and probably your saturdays and so um i think the last big thing in that category was probably log4j so this was I, like yeah, yeah. The... one of the, by Actually, no doubt, one of the biggest ones out there, so far at least. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, for sure. Everybody's going to be through that uh, sort of uh, uh, urge to fix. <laughs> um, but along those lines, though, talking about, you know, incident responding and similar things, like, um, can you share a, like, oh crap moment or a close moment which you were nearly breached? If you can share, I mean, <laughs> and uh, your yeah. your team managed to actually avert disaster or something like that. Um, I need to give you an evasive answer on that. All right, um, let's go. But, uh, <laughs> I'll take but, it. Uh, but yeah, actually, um, so what we see on a regular basis is, uh, of course, you have phishing emails um, a lot, um, and they tend to detonate on different parts of your defense lines, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, if actually a phishing image managed to go like through all like the first four line of defenses and then actually ends up in a user inbox um, and then the user gives you a call. Uh, that's <laughs> No, that, I mean, that's like that clicking is really, really rare these days um, okay. from, 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 from my perspective, but uh, when this person then gives the security team a call, that's like one of those rare moments where you actually see uh, if your security program is worth it or not. And okay. so, if, if, so, and let me elaborate a little bit on that because there's like multiple dimensions to that in my perspective. And the first perspective is trust. So if, if a user actually uh, sees something sketchy and gives you a call, that means they trust you and the security department to not um, yeah, press charges or anything like that, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, Or that they will not have a ne negative effect from calling you um, yep. in their professional career. And so this actually is, is like really making me feel good. Um, so if a person says, okay, yeah, something fishy, let's just call the security department right away. And uh, then it also gives you uh, some confidence in, if, I mean, awareness programs are nice and uh, we also do that, like sending uh, awareness, pitching test emails to the organization, then you get a percentage. Like in click training. More than you know, one. Yeah, and, and, and all the training attached to that. But at the end of the day, it needs to be proven on the battleground and that's that's like when actually a really good phishing email comes and somebody says eh. and this is also um i mean we both uh, work a lot with sensors right so yeah. um i i also think next to the uh, to the technical sensors we have in our defense lines the 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 human sensor cannot be underappreciated uh, and i think Absolutely. it's um, a lot of the times it's actually uh, the best sensor you have in your network, although you probably don't want to hear that. <laughs> <clears throat> I got you, got you. Well, I, I'm actually very, uh, I mean, I, I agree 100%. You have the different layers. You have, as you mentioned, you, 
it needs to pass through all sorts of different uh, layers of defense, let's say, to end up um, in the user's email box. But I am totally impressed that the users actually are calling you. This means good training. This means that all pieces are actually working because no matter what, this something still can make its way through in things like that. So, so that's that's really really awesome. At the beginning, I said clicking because usually that's what happens. I click. And then, and then it's all a wild goose chase around there. But uh, it's awesome to hear that actually, you know, things like that are working, and users are are giving you guys a call back. That's 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 awesome. That is very cool. Very cool. Um, and, and along those lines, um, you basically managed to avert sort of disaster in that case, or at this point of time, uh, this security team with the proper training of the end users. Um, however, was is there anything or would you have done something different knowing now that this has happened before actually having lessons learned? Is there something that you would have done, let's say, differently, um, whatever it may be? I The, the constant struggle you have uh, when you are responsible for an internal security program is um, the balance between restrictions, freedom, mm -hmm. and security. And so this is like a, probably it's a triangle. <laughs> I have to think about it a little longer. Right. But in my head at the moment, it's a triangle, right? And you. so if you give more, if you give more freedom, um, then uh, you have to trust more. Uh, and so trust in this way is also a two-way street. So you have to trust your users to do the right thing. Um, if you give less freedom, it will probably get more backlash for it, your it policies. It comes with consequences, yes. Yes, yes. And also what we've learned, um, if you talk to other people uh, in the industry, the more restrictions you do, the more the people try to avert your defense lines yep. and they 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 will be creative and they will find ways around it and you probably don't like how they circumvent yeah, controls okay. so yeah so you need to find the right balance that people don't feel the need to come up with creative ideas to circumvent your controls. right right right, right. <clears throat> yeah because then you have to fight two ends right <laughs> you have to fight the bad guys and you have to figure out uh, the other circumvention as well and things like that Okay, well, yeah. cool, cool. Um, well, <clears throat> speaking about people, technologies, tools, and all those sorts of things, what's your favorite tool? What's your go-to tool? What's the tool that you're like, okay, I cannot live without it in my daily job or something like that? What, what would that be? Is there one? Is there five? What, what is it? So it really hurts me to say, but these days as a CISO, it's probably PowerPoint, and <laughs> I, I, I never wanted to become that person. Um, <laughs> So back when I was doing more incident response, um, my favorite tool was X-Ways Forensics. Um, that's just how okay. it is. I mean, I, I, I did so many great analysis projects by using X-Ways. It was really like my favorite tool. And then all of the powerful open source tools around it, like Lock to Timeline, later Plazo, um, right. uh, Timesketch, you have NISP, uh, and that everything was really nicely integrated at some point, and you could really build like a professional incident response service based on open source tools. 
and you didn't miss out a lot when it comes to commercial tools. Um, so, but only when it came to like really deep dives into disks, um, searching for like the last few bytes that uh, an attacker might have um, missed in uh, in some area of the hard disk. Uh, Xways was like. The, the most powerful tool for me. So this is um, like the pro tool to go to. Okay, awesome. awesome. Yeah, for, for the, I mean, usually when you do like instant response um, these days, you do triage in, on many machines yep. and then identify like machines with a very high activity rate of the attackers. Um, and then those systems, you actually spend some time for a deep dive um, to uncover some tooling or, or uh, behavioral uh, technique kind of things. Um, and uh, so this is what what I actually used X-rays for. It, yeah. yeah, sure. Sorry, to, <clears throat> it, um, just something came up to me as a question. In that line of thought, like with the remote working, that is more and more relevant since uh, the pandemic and COVID and all that stuff. Did that affect those deep dives, in your opinion? Since people would be like, presumably, with a laptop working remotely from their home or from whichever way location. Did that kind of have any restrictions on the way the blue teams were actually doing deep dives or responses? And I'm asking that because you mentioned deep dive on a machine, but I assume a machine could be an end-user PC, for example, a laptop somewhere, or a server, yeah. which would be really bad because that's a server inside the organization. That has basically always been a problem. Uh, because even uh, before work from home in large incidents in bigger organizations, you always had machines that were on the other end of the globe um, in some office. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, sometimes they just like send it. They just wrapped it up and mailed it. Um, but in, in other instances, you had to be really creative um, and use tools like F response, for example, uh, to just remotely attach to the hard drive over the network. Um, that was a little bit slower, but it did work. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, um, apart from that, um, also when you have a like big remote networks, um, you can also um, yeah also use like network based tools like. We did a lot with Suricata, yeah. so um, oh, awesome yeah, and, <clears throat> yeah. Cool. So, um, well, so it me it seems that you know that challenge was already and always there. Kind of thing is just like the the pandemic kind of more exposed it or made it more vivid, so to speak. Okay. Yeah, okay. and now now you have people with their home internet lines. They are much slower than usually much slower than you your corporate. Mm -hmm. uh, uplinks mm -hmm. yeah so um this is probably like the bottleneck then for your analysis right okay okay especially when as you mentioned if it's the other side of the globe um, and all that or, or or a slow connection it doesn't need to be on the other side of the globe it could be slow uh, <laughs> without being on the other and, side <laughs> and at this point we're only talking about it right uh so if you talk <laughs> about an ot device on the other side of the globe that's a whole different story and right. you probably want to put someone on a plane and is that, yeah i was gonna say is that a plane ticket <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah yeah that's a plane ticket yeah, yeah okay 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 understood well <clears throat> all right so challenges exist we still keep the fight blue team right so what would you say to a younger colleagues that or or people younger generation people that are thinking about joining 
the industry and becoming a cyber defender like all right if you give them a piece of advice what would what would it be out of out of your extensive experience mm, i think a topic that has been gaining some momentum in the last years but i think is probably the most important is mental health um because it's really stressful um, so cybersecurity, depending on what area you actually work in. So either you work in a SOC that could be like more closer to regular working hours than being out in the field as an incident responder, um, traveling a lot, uh, living basically from hotel to hotel, um, plane to plane, time zone to time zone. So, uh, and if, if you are even yeah most of the times your employer doesn't value your mental health um this can become a not so pleasant job very quickly and yeah. so um watch out for the balance um i mean those stressful jobs can also be the ones where you learn the most uh, this was the case for me but to be totally honest after a few years um this it this became like really really stressful right, um, right, right. and uh, so you need to find your off time your free time uh, you need to you need to also like find something outside of those um, uh, emergency oriented jobs yeah. right you need to balance it out yeah <clears throat> yeah I I often find it myself it was always very interesting you can always learn something new and things like but I hundred percent agree with you the stress level and things like that. You have to constantly be on um, and doing all those things. So it's a tough job, basically, um, if, if I sum it up. But you've been doing that for a long while now. So it's always been a tough job. So what motivates you to work in this field? Why, why are you still keeping on working? And then why did you not change to, I don't know, something else? What, why, what keeps you there? I mean, for most people, it's they they strive for like mastery autonomy purpose right and so i put a lot of work into being having knowledge about what i do uh so it would probably also be just a waste to do something else <laughs> <laughs> and um but on the other hand um i mean the the nice thing about the cybersecurity industry is you can try different things right uh it 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 tends to stay interesting if you're like self-motivated if you don't start learning um you can for example you can go into the development side of things yeah you can mm -hmm. start okay i'm good at coding um i i want to like build cybersecurity products uh, you can be you can be switching sides doing that right you you can just say okay i'm no longer a consultant i want to develop it it might take some time but you can do it uh, because having a developer for your cybersecurity product who worked in the field is like super super um helpful yeah? it will be a great asset for the development team sure. um on the other side I've also seen people switching the other way around, right? They said, okay, now I developed those products, but what those guys are doing, uh, instant response, it's super amazing. I want to learn doing that and right, invest right. some time into that and then just got out into the trenches, right? Uh, yeah. And um, and for me, I, I mean, yeah, I, I've been a consultant most of my professional career or a, a service provider. 
And uh, for me, it was just like really interesting after more than 10 years to not only tell people what they should do better in their networks all of the time, but actually like just do it. Yeah. And, and take responsibility for a network and say, okay, um, now, now I'm actually gonna see if, uh, if I'm only good for, for, for telling people what to do, or if I'm actually good at uh, doing it myself. And so this was like a really, um, interesting challenge for me. Um, and, um, I'm, I don't regret it. No. Awesome. Awesome to hear. Um, <clears throat> well, final question. Um, because actually, if you let me, we could be here for another couple of hours, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate your time uh, with us. Uh, so final question, um, would you like to give a shout out to um, any mentors that help you in all the, I, I don't know, the, your college professor or some family member, any shout out to somebody that helped you out? There were multiple people in my career that actually pushed me in the right direction. Um, and I, that's something I also wish for every like younger generation who tries to join the, this industry. Um, because for me, that was uh, tremendous because um, initially I started out doing pen testing and um, I, I had a great mentor. I'm not going to mention his name. I don't know if he's comfortable with that, but, um, but he actually, um, he, he, when I was leaving the office in the evening, he was still sitting in his forensic office and, and I was always like curious what he's doing in there. And like one evening he was like, yeah, I want to know what I'm doing here. Sit down, but this is going to take a while. Hey, that's awesome, uh, by the way. And so, and actually he, sh and he was sitting in front of X-Ways um, and he was like, okay, now we're looking at some hard disks. And I mean, I, I left the office at, at 12, like 12 at night that evening, but I was fixed. And um, so this person is um, probably single-handedly responsible for my career. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll give him a shout out. Hopefully, as you yeah. said, everybody in their career will have some, some, some trigger like that. Awesome. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> Robert, thank you very much for joining us here. Thank you very much for your time. Much appreciate uh, you and keep doing what you're doing. We need more people like from the blue team, um, like you in joining the fight, of course. And, um, ladies and gentlemen, Robert Heist, um, a CISO with hands-on experience. Those are not so common. So, um, uh, thank you for being with us uh, once more. Thanks for having me. Thank you for celebrating and honoring the Defenders with Blue Team Diaries. You can find this and all our previous episodes on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. If you're interested in learning more about our sponsor, Stamus Networks, please visit stamus-networks.com.